Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Ron Waxman. Uh, we are in the COVID-19 series on CRT Online, and my guest today is Dr. Alok Finn. He's the medical director of uh, CVPAT, uh, located in Gettysburg, Maryland. Welcome, Alok. Thank you, Ron. And uh, you just presented in our CAT conference and published a fascinating paper and information about the autopsies um, of patients who actually unfortunately died from COVID-19, but very revealing findings. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what was the source of the uh, specimens and what were the findings? Okay. So um, Ron, as you know, you know, there's been several papers published on the effects of cardiac injury on patients with COVID-19, especially hospitalized patients. That's where most of the data comes from. And it's been shown that people with even small elevations of troponin have increased risk of death. Um, and it's not clear how and why that's occurring and what the mechanisms of cardiac injury are uh, to the heart uh, who are people who have COVID-19. So uh, as you will recall, uh, in April, uh, of the, or maybe even before April, there was a huge pandemic occurring uh, in uh, Bergamo, Italy. I remember in Italy, it was a terrible situation and they had lots of cases and it was a really, really bad situation there. Uh, it, there was a collaborator of ours, Giulio Guayumi, who works in Bergamo, Italy, in one of the hospitals there. He became very interested in what was happening to the patients and what kind of cardiac injury was occurring to these patients. So he ended up getting an IRB approval to send hearts to us from people that had died of COVID-19 infection during that time. And they were shipped to us. They were fixed and formal and shipped to us. And then we basically did the cardiac evaluation. We also got some of the blocks from the lungs, et cetera, but we looked at the heart to really try to understand what was going on in these people. And as you know, Ron, in, in the lay public, uh, in, the, you know, in, the, in the press, there's been a lot of rumors about myocarditis and whether that's a big effect and football players, are they infecting, are they getting infected and are they getting myocarditis causing problems? You know, there's a lot of hearsay about what's really going on. So we really wanted to understand the mechanisms of, of cardiac injury. So we took 40 hearts that we had collected from Italy and we divided them up into hearts that had shown myocardial necrosis, that is death of heart cells versus hearts that didn't have myocardial necrosis. So of these 40 cases, and I should explain, these were mainly in elderly patients. Average age was around 70, 70 something years of age, but there were exceptions to the rule. Some people were 43, et cetera. In these 40 hearts, there was 14 of them that had evidence of myocardial necrosis. And I say necrosis, that really means myocardial damage. Of those 14 that had myocardial damage, two of them had epicardial coronary thrombosis, underwent PCI. So normal, as you'd say, some sort of acute myocardial infarction, underwent a PCI, et cetera, and died in, in, this, in that setting, but also had severe lung injury at the same time. But what was surprising, Ron, was that in over 60%, 64% of the cases with myocardial necrosis had microthrombi. So not significant epicardial coronary thrombosis, but small thrombi in the arterioles and capillaries of the heart. Uh, and that was causing necrosis. So that to us was an astounding finding that I don't think has ever been reported before in terms of mechanism of injury. We didn't see a lot of myocarditis. We didn't see a lot of inflammation in those hearts, but we did see microthrombi. Some of the hearts, two or three of them, didn't have any significant findings, the hearts with necrosis. So that was the major finding. Yeah, these were not specifically patients who were 
diagnosed with a heart involvement. Some do, some did, but these were just autopsies of patients who died of COVID-19, but not necessarily just selected for heart, or they, oh, oh, I misunderstood that part. No, you're, you're correct. Remember, in fact, we didn't have troponins on the majority of these people. So uh, I want to be very transparent. This was occurring during the height of the pandemic. The understanding of what was going on and the, and the effects on the body were poor. And so a lot of these people didn't ever get troponins. It was just an entire series unselected. And have you ever seen a, a phenomenon of microtrombi outside of the COVID-19? I mean, you, uh, uh, I know in your center, there were pathology of heart yes. specimens for, for decades. Was there any evidence? I know myocarditis is pretty much known, I mean, viral or yeah. other reasons, but what about microtrombi? That's something well, which is- The only disease that I've heard that can cause this kind of effect is TTP. So that's the only one that I know of that can cause small microthrombi in the heart, but there's otherwise, and I think those are rare. Otherwise, I don't think there's anything else that we've ever encountered that causes this kind of problem. As you know, Ron, as an interventionalist, these are not easily detectable in the clinic. How many of those were like patchy findings and how many were there was diffuse yeah. through the entire myocardium? Most of them were patchy. Most of them were isolated to certain areas of the myocardium. In one case in particular, it was very dramatic. This patient, which was published in circulation, presented with ST segment elevation, a myocardial infarction in the inferior, inferior territory, and actually was found, and then it basically ended up going into profound cardiogenic shock. And what we found in that patient was that she had microthrombi in the inferior wall and in the RV, causing really RV shock, and then global myocardial necrosis from that shocky condition she had. So that patchy appearance is kind of resembling what was shown also on a CT of the lung for many of those patients. I mean, as you know, clinically, a lot of those were diagnosed just by CT when they entered into the New York hospitals who didn't right. have the time. The, the COVID test was not ready. It took like 72 hours at that time. You have a patchy CT and you have some CRP levels going up and the dimer, you make the diagnosis until the COVID-19 yeah. test came. Uh, did you have any other um, organs that you can say on those patients that you saw also microtrombi like lung or kidneys or any or, or spleen or any other organs within that, that were sent to you from the same yeah. patient that showed yeah. that this is not just limited to the heart? We had the majority of the lungs, so we could examine the lungs. We didn't have other tissues for the most part. We did ask and request for certain cases for other tissues, and in the case presented in circulation, that particular lady had microthrombi in the spleen and the liver, and that was published. Most of the cases we looked at had microthrombi in alveolar septi in the lungs. So consistent with an A, almost all the cases had AR, uh, a diffuse alveolar damage, kind of ARDS kind of pattern with some microthrombi in alveolar septi. We also said, hey, was there pulmonary emboli? How many pulmonary emboli were occurring in these patients? It turns out, if you look at the cases with myocardial necrosis and the cases without myocardial necrosis, the rate of pulmonary emboli was similar in the 30% or thirty range, maybe 15 to 30% range. That's interesting because this suggests that the microtrombi is like a dominant cause for mortality, that it's a diffuse disease. It's not just limited to the heart. It's across the entire body, which tempting uh, many of us uh, as soon as we have some signals like the dimer or even if the heart is not involved to start uh, with treatment like with rivaroxaban and other, yeah. uh, um, you know, and maybe even an oxaparin, but something else that would be 
the antibody. Do, do you have any more insight to the mechanism of this uh, phenomenon? So what we did, Ron, was we went further. We asked ourselves, so they're microthrombi. Are these microthrombi of the same constituents as epicardial thrombi that occur in a routine STEMI patient? So what Dr. Guayomi had done was he had collected aspirates from STEMI cases, the culprit artery of STEMI cases, both non-COVID and COVID. And then we compared those aspirates to the microthrombi. So we stained them for different constituents of the clot. For instance, platelets, fibrin, D-dimer. We also did staining for complement. What really came out um, was that the, both the fibrin and the complement, fibrin was greater in the microthrombi than in the epicardial thrombi. Complement was essentially exclusive to the microthrombi. There was almost no complement staining in normal epicardial thrombi. Complement heavily stained the microthrombi. So that goes with the cytokine storm, uh, maybe, or it's, or, or maybe we overstate the cytokine. Well, th there's some data that says, and it's interesting, experimental data that says that the viruses can directly uh, um, activate the complement system in the body, and that activation is part of the disease pathogenesis. And that in mice models and other kinds of things, if you knock out the complement, if you use complement deficient mice and you infect them with SARS they basically have less infl inflammation and less damage overall to their lungs. So there's something very important about complement in terms of its particular pathogenesis in this disease. And I don't think any of the, the things you mentioned before have any effects on complement. You know, the rivaroxaban, any of those kind of, you know, heparin, those are not complement inhibitor drugs. Yeah, the question if the anti-inflammatory, the potent anti-inflammatory drugs uh, may have a role. I mean, you know, people trying from, well, they tried hydroxychloroquine, not necessarily specific anti-inflammatory. Some people studying colchicine. Yeah. Uh, steroids definitely anti-inflammatory was helpful at different stages of the disease. And uh, so, so there is, a, uh, a, again, I'm not sure there is a clear path of a mechanism that can direct you which drug uh, to treat with those findings. Uh, one other question that I'm kind of curious, you had 40 specimens of elderly individuals from Italy, which is a country with a lot of smoking habits. What was the state of the, the coronary artery disease on those uh, patients? I mean, did you see a lot of uh, uh, inflammation, I mean, uh, lipid-rich plaques, uh, atherosclerosis, stenosis? I mean, because these are not young patients, and, and it is a country where you smoke a lot, and uh, and these are the elderly population. That's a, that's a great question. I, people have been very curious. Was there more coronary disease in the people with microthrombi or with myocardial necrosis? And we were actually expecting, Ron, that maybe the extent of coronary burden would correlate with myocardial injury. That is, if you, if you divided the, the patients up into those with myocardial injury without, versus those without myocardial injury, then you looked at their coronary artery atherosclerosis burden it would be different, but it turned out it wasn't, Ron. Most of the patients had atherosclerosis, but it was mainly stable atherosclerosis, basically moderate narrowing, 50% or less than 50% cross-sectional area, narrowing of the major coronary arteries. There weren't a lot of patients with significant coronary disease. And so that was not a major risk factor that went with myocardial injury. My last question is that about the prognosis. So as you know, there are now studies with patients who were at random, even young ones, that underwent MRI and they were diagnosed with myocarditis. Uh, they were maybe symptomatic or asymptomatic, but based on what you've seen, 
let's assume that the main mechanism in all those patients, which we call myocarditis, it's basically microthrombitis mm -hmm. so, yeah, or something right. like that. What would you say the prognosis of those guys? Because these guys are young, they worried about, yeah. uh, they, maybe the enzymes are already have been uh, waxing and waning, but they still have some symptoms. And uh, how do you think about the prognosis of those uh, uh, microtrombi myocardial injury? I'm not even saying myocarditis anymore yeah. because it's not inflammation. Yeah. Right. Compared to the traditional myocarditis that uh, you know, can differentiate any way with a viral myocarditis. Yeah. How would you, how would you put the prognostic of those patients? I mean, that's a number of important question. Is, th is that what's causing the signal in these patients? I have heard from friends of mine, there was a particular case report in, in, in the uh, New England Journal about a lady who had COVID and cardiac involvement. And uh, she actually ended up going on ECMO and then survived. But I heard from a friend of mine that she actually still has a troponin leak to this day, three months after having COVID. So, and I'm wondering whether, you know, these are very small microthrombi that are confined to very small areas of the myocardium, but I do think they probably continue to cause ischemic damage, especially in the setting of stress uh, for the long term. So I don't know how they resolve and I don't know exactly what the long-term prognosis is. I think your question is an excellent one and uh, very concerning about uh, how do we deal with these people? How, what's their prognosis? How do we get rid of microthrombi? Those are all questions that I think we don't have an answer to. Yeah, I think it just stressed the importance of continuing to follow up the survivors of COVID-19 for a long period of time. And do you think that the biopsies would be helpful for those who survive? I mean, can you learn anything? I mean, obviously you want them to be alive, so you're not going to get the heart. Yeah. But uh, would you advise to have a ser series of biopsies like every six months or every three months, like the same that we're going with the patients who are undergoing transplant? I mean, as you know, biopsies are not risk-free. I, I just worry about whether, what are we gonna do about it, Ron? If we find microthrombi, what, what treatment do we have available that's going to help us? Because it's not an inflammation media. I mean, it is inflammation mediated, but we don't really know the pathways specifically that that activate this problem. So without any kind of inhibitor, I don't know if there's any therapeutic uh, benefit to getting a biopsy, unless you have something else that I don't, you know, that, that's my question is, is it worth the risk when you don't have a therapy? Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. Unfortunately, even nine months after the break of the pandemic, there are so many open questions and it's amazing how much we don't know that we thought that we do know uh, so I really thank to your team at the CV Path for bringing this important information. I do encourage everyone to send you hearts uh, to continue to explore and understand, and maybe not just hearts, I mean, all the organs as well, so we can better understand the nature of the disease. And, and one thing that we all together have to continue to uh, learn more and to see if we can find any therapeutics that would be addressing those uh, pathological findings. So I'll leave you the last word, Dalok. Well, I wanted to thank you, Ron, for having me. And I think your statement really was the last word, which was, we need to continue to learn more. And we need to be curious. And we, you know, the more we can uh, investigate and know about this disease, the better a chance we have for people to survive. And I, I think it's a typical situation we're in. Hopefully, we'll, we'll gain some progress in therapeutics, Ron, which I really think we badly need in terms of the cardiac arena and understanding. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Ron.